Brandon had to read scripture to get applause, and all I had to do was walk up here. <laughs> now, I know who that was for. I know who that was for. <clears throat> Good to see all of you here on this uh, Lord's Day after Thanksgiving, and uh, we hope it's good to be seen by those who are tuning in by live stream. Perhaps some of our church family who are out traveling are able to tune in this morning from wherever they are. We're grateful for that. It's always good to worship the Lord wherever we are. There was a man who joined a rather unusual monastery, uh, one where all the monks took a very strict vow of silence, and they were only permitted to speak two words every ten years. And after the first ten years, this man chose to say, bed hard. Well, another ten years went by, and they gave him another chance, and he said, food bad. Well, finally another ten years went by, thirty years now all told, and the man said, I quit. And all of the others said, we're not surprised. All you've done since you got here is complain. <laughs> well, maybe you're not a constant complainer, but do you always show gratitude when you should, when it's appropriate, when it's called for? According to an article in the Cape Times of South Africa, there was a South African man who surprised nine men robbing his home. And eight of the robbers got away, but he managed to push one of them into his backyard swimming pool. Well, after realizing this robber couldn't swim, the homeowner jumped in and saved him. But once out of the pool, the wet thief pulled a knife and threatened the homeowner who had just rescued him and saved his life. The homeowner said, we were still standing near the pool, and when I saw the knife, I just threw him back in. <laughs> but he was gasping for air and was drowning, so I rescued him again. I thought he had a lot of nerve trying to stab me after I'd just saved his life. Well, sometimes people are hateful when they ought to be grateful, or at least, if not hateful, indifferent. There is a lamentable lack of gratitude in our world these days, but it isn't a recent development. It's not a new thing. On the heels of the Thanksgiving holiday this morning, I want us to take a look at a rather classic Thanksgiving text found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. It serves as a living illustration of the rarity of gratitude. Even in Jesus' day, gratitude was not in abundant supply, it would seem. And we learn from this passage that we're going to look at that God's blessings are ours for the asking, but we should not neglect to give Him thanks for those blessings. In Luke chapter 17, we're going to begin reading in verse 11 and read down through verse 19. If you're able, I would invite you to stand with me as I read God's Word for us this morning. The Bible says, Now on His way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. 
As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Thank you. Please be seated. <clears throat> no matter what our circumstance, who we are, or what we believe, everyone wants to be blessed by God. Everyone desires the blessings of God. And in this case, it was ten lepers, ten people who suffered from a terrible, contagious skin disease of some kind that was uh, a blight upon them, that, that had tremendously curtailed their lives. It was a terrible burden and a curse that they had to live under. And they stood at a distance from Jesus, it says, and that's because they were required to in the law. In Leviticus 13 and Numbers 5, it required that any leper stand at a distance and declare themselves so that no one might be caught unawares too close to one of those people and perhaps be infected. And in this group of ten lepers who appealed to Jesus, there was at least one Samaritan, we know. Now, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They did not get along. They wouldn't ordinarily have anything to do with Samaritans. But in this circumstance, among this group of ten lepers, there were Jews as well as at least one Samaritan. They were together because they were all facing a greater problem. A common misfortune in leprosy had broken down their racial barriers, their national barriers, their differences of opinion and religion. It's funny how that works, isn't it? It reminds me of brief days after our nation was attacked on 9-11 and the country seemed to come together. The Democrats and the Republicans set aside their differences long enough to actually accomplish something, to work together as, as singly citizens of a United States of America. That was the case with these lepers. They had a common problem. Now, I used to think that the peoples of earth, if we were ever suddenly threatened with annihilation, by attacking aliens, that we would come together, we would draw together to fight that common enemy, to succeed together, to help one another. I'm not as convinced of that after the pandemic and the struggles we had coming together during that common threat. But whatever the case may be, whether we realize it or not, all of the peoples of the earth do face a common enemy, and that enemy is sin. We all 
face it. We all are threatened by it. We all suffer from it. And we all have a common need. And that need is forgiveness, absolution, pardon from that sin. And if we have the good sense to recognize how much alike we really are in that respect, we would spend less energy fighting one another and more energy pointing one another toward God and the grace that God freely extends toward us to take care of our problem, our enemy of sin. These lepers, they were together in their misery and they cried out to Jesus for mercy. It seems Jesus' reputation had preceded him. They knew who Jesus was, apparently. They'd heard about the things he had done. They went to him seeking his favor, seeking his blessing. And there are a lot of lost people in this world who aren't in any church at this particular moment who have also heard about the power of God and God's ability to intervene in the human situation. And though they may not otherwise give God the time of day, when the chips are down, when they're in tremendous need, when they're really up against it, they come calling just as these lepers did this day. But whether we are Christian or pagan, we all desire the blessings of God. And whether we realize it or not, we have all been the recipients of the blessings of God, Christian and pagan alike. We've all been blessed by God because God is generous in bestowing blessings. We see it in this story. Jesus cleansed not one leper, not five, not just the Jews. He cleansed all ten of these lepers. None was left out. He told them to go show themselves to the priests in verse 14. And that was something that needed to be done by those who had been cleansed in order to be readmitted to the community. They had to demonstrate that they were indeed cleansed of their of their affliction in order to be able to participate once again in the activities of the community, to be involved in the social dimension of their people. And though there were both Jews and at least one Samaritan in the group, still Jesus cleansed them all. He didn't withhold His blessing from any of them. Jews and Samaritans alike all received the blessing. If you and I were to pause this morning to count our blessings, we would find that God has blessed each of us beyond measure in ways we too often don't even recognize, ways we don't even notice from day to day. In February of 1997, Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, who was probably at the time the richest man in the world, spoke to a crowd of 1,500 people in Seattle at the annual convention of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. And after his speech, Dr. John Cantwell Kiley, a medical doctor who also had a PhD in philosophy, stood up to ask Bill Gates a question. And the question was, if Bill Gates were blind, would he give up all of his billions of dollars in order to regain his sight? 
And the answer was yes. Bill Gates said he would give everything he owned if he were blind to regain his sight. Now think about that, what, what that means for us right here this morning. If you can see me, you're more fabulously blessed, more fabulously wealthy than the richest man in the world. At least that's how he sees it. If he were unable to have his sight, he'd give everything he had. That underscores just how blessed we are in ways we don't even recognize, in ways we take for granted. We've been fabulously blessed by God because God is a gracious God. God is a good God. He wants to bless us. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. And yet, how do we respond to God's generosity and God's blessings in our lives? What do we render to Him in return out of gratitude? We're all blessed, but not many are grateful. In the story, only one of the ten lepers who were cleansed came back to thank Jesus. One out of ten. Now that's not just a minority, that's a fraction of the whole. Now someone once said, when you carve the Thanksgiving turkey, give the first piece to the person who cooked it. Now this one thankful Samaritan leper understood the principle behind that little saying, didn't he? This guy knew what that meant. He came praising God in a loud voice, it says in verse 15. Praising God, that is, he recognized the power of God in what Jesus had done for him. He recognized God in Jesus' ministry, and it says that he threw himself at Jesus' feet. Literally, it says he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus to thank him. Now that's gratitude, isn't it? That's, that's demonstratively grateful to fall at Jesus' feet. And Jesus was astonished, not that this man thanked him, but that this was the only one who came and thanked him. He was the only one who returned. All ten of them had been cleansed, all ten of them had been blessed, but only one returned. And Jesus asked this question, where are the other nine? It's a haunting question, isn't it? It's a convicting question. It pierces us. What a searing indictment on those who did not return to give thanks to Jesus for cleansing them. Jesus had just done for them what no one else could possibly have done. And they did not even thank Him. He had just returned them from exile. He had just given them their lives back, and they failed to thank Him. After all that He had done for them, they had ignored Him and gone about their business. Now how must that have disappointed Jesus? And how must it disappoint God when you and I do the same thing? going about our business rather than thanking God for the blessings He so freely, richly, generously pours out upon us. 
Hasn't God done for us all that Jesus did for these lepers and even more? And yet how often do we take His blessings for granted? Someone once asked the question, what if God blessed us tomorrow only in proportion to how we thanked Him today? It was Shakespeare's King Lear who said, How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. How many of us are thankless children of our Heavenly Father who absorb His blessings but take them for granted and fail to be grateful for them? Jesus was all the more disappointed here that not one of His own people had returned to give thanks. After all, it was the Jews who had been the recipients of God's revelation in history. It had been the Jews who had been God's chosen people throughout the ages. It was the Jews who had known God's kindness throughout history. And yet, the only one who returned to thank Jesus was a Samaritan. Now, that's not to say Jesus was racist at all, not in any way. Not by any means. But he might have expected those who had been so privileged by God's grace in history to have been thankful, especially for his blessings. And I wonder sometimes if there are pagans out there who are more grateful and thankful for what they have than we are. If we who know the grace of God most fully and understand the sacrifice of God's Son on our behalf most completely, if we are thankless ingrates, then we suffer a double indictment because we know how good God has been to us. Of how many of us could Jesus say, where are the rest? I've been good to all, where are they? I pray he would never say, where are you? Of all of those who owe thanksgiving to God, we should be the first ones to praise him for his goodness. So why is it that we so often don't? Could it be that we've somehow convinced ourselves that we are entitled to God's blessings? That we are somehow special, exceptional, unique? That God is somehow lucky to have us on His team? That the service we've rendered, whatever it may be, is such that, that God really does owe us the blessings that we enjoy. We've really earned those. We deserve them. Do we feel entitled to those things? It's easy to get that way. John Ortberg, in a sermon, once talked about that entitlement. He said, the bigger our sense of entitlement, the smaller our sense of gratitude. Our entitlement mindset, he said, has led to a proliferation of lawsuits. When we don't get something we really want, we sue somebody. For example, he said, the San Francisco Giants were once sued for passing out Father's Day gifts to men only. A psychology professor sued for sexual harassment because of the presence of mistletoe at a Christmas party. I'll wager nobody wanted to kiss her anyway, wouldn't you? 
A psychic, a psychic was awarded $986,000 when a doctor's CAT scan impaired her psychic abilities. And Ortberg says you have to wonder about that one because if she was really psychic, shouldn't she have known not to go to that doctor in the first place? We began to think we deserve the good things that God has given us. We feel entitled. We think we deserve the families that we have. We think we deserve the, the jobs we have, the income we have, the, the resources we have. But have we forgotten that God is the one who gave us all of the talents and the abilities to, to gather those resources to start with? We should never forget that there are people out there who are more talented and more hardworking than we are who earn and have much less than we do. We should be thankful that God doesn't give us what we deserve because what we deserve is the wages that we have earned. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's what we've earned. That's what we've accrued for ourselves because of our sin. We deserve nothing more than death. And yet God has saved us from that. Only by God's grace do we have anything more than that. And yet for all we have, we are far too discontent. You may think that discontent is just a minor misdeed, a trivial trespass. But don't fool yourself. Discontent is the prototypical sin. It is the archetype for all other sins. It's the lie that first captivated Eve back in the Garden of Eden. The lie that said, you don't have enough. You need more. Of all that God had given her, it wasn't enough. She wanted what God had prohibited. She was discontent. And if discontent is the prototypical sin then I would suggest that gratitude may well be, after love itself, the cardinal virtue. Thankfulness, gratitude for what God has done for us. The Roman orator Cicero said, A thankful heart is the parent of all virtues. And I think he's right. Gratitude is a vaccine against discontent. It can ward off a disgruntled spirit. And if we can only remember the abundant blessings of God in our lives, then we will never struggle with a sinful discontent. Of ten lepers who were cleansed that day, only one returned to Jesus to give thanks. In your life, don't be one of the nine who take God's goodness, God's blessings for granted. Be the one who praises Him for His goodness. Your life may not be just the way you want it to be. God's healing hand may be something you're still waiting for. You may still be waiting for His deliverance in your life. But whatever the case may be, God has already been better to you than you deserved. If you're honest, you recognize that. You know that. You see that. Whatever your situation may be, God has loved you. 
God has blessed you, and God has given you everything you will ever need in Jesus Christ. He has solved your greatest problem through His Son, Jesus Christ. He has provided for the forgiveness of your sins, for eternal life in His name, in Jesus Christ. There is no greater blessing. There is no higher opportunity or honor. There is no greater gift. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are blessed. Can you see it? Do you have the vision to recognize your blessings? Or are you blind in spite of them? Let's pray. Father, forgive us for our sense of entitlement that we develop so easy. Forgive us for our complaints and our grumbling. Lord, as we read in your word, your people have a long history of grumbling and complaining, of turning away from you, of taking for granted your goodness and your grace. And I pray, God, you'd forgive us for that. Help us to see how blessed we are. Help us to recognize what, what fabulous wealth we have that we can see, that we can hear, that we can interact with one another, that we can move from place to place. And God, help us to be grateful people, grateful for who you are and for what you've done for us. And may that change the way we see everything about us. We read earlier that short verse, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I pray, God, that we might be obedient to that commandment from your word this day and always. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, all ten of those lepers were healed or cleansed. But there was only one who came back and got to hear Jesus say something of tremendous significance. In verse 19, Jesus said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Literally what it says is, your faith has saved you. Now, that can mean a, a, a physical healing, and no doubt it does in this case, but do you suppose it means a bit more as well? You see, God's grace, God's goodness is appropriated in our lives as the result of a faith response. That grace becomes effective for us when we place our faith in the one who died to save us. And so I extend His offer to you today, freely, without cost, an offer of salvation, of grace in Jesus Christ, if you will put your faith in Him and trust in Him as God's provision for your sin. God has defeated our common enemy for us. All we need to do is claim that victory by faith in Jesus Christ, would you? We're going to sing a hymn of invitation, and I'll be at the front to receive anyone who wishes to come. To give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, to join the church, to, to ask for baptism, to recommit yourself, whatever the case may be.
This is the time. Let's stand to our feet now as David leads us and as we sing.